Welcome to the Damon Bruce Show. It's great to have you back here Tuesday, August 8th. And as the week rolls along, maybe new options for existing members of the Pac-10, Pac-12, Pac-8, Pac-whatever, to maybe even join the ACC as presidents over there are taking exploratory calls about possibly Cal and Stanford. Look, we got the 49ers rolling into Vegas this week. We got Giants against Shohei Otani last night, a big rally and an awful lot to talk about. But I am very happy to start today's show with a man who knows an awful lot about Cal because one, he went there, two, he worked there. He knows an awful lot about the Pac-12 as a member of their broadcast teams. And now, of course, on to ESPN, where I'm guessing Roxy Bernstein is is Bill Walton okay? I'm worried about Bill Walton. He had the Grateful Dead tour come to an end and his conference of champions all in the same month. It's a it's a rough month for Bill. I think we're all worried about Bill, to be honest with you. The, the last communication I had with Bill over the weekend was he's sad. He's angry and sad. And that's that's the way that I would describe my feelings too. It's just, it's just sad to see what's gone on. And the landscape of college athletics, it's ever-changing. But I don't think anybody in their wildest dreams five years ago, even maybe less than that, could have predicted where we are right now. Because when you look at it, it's it's just crazy. And it, it's just stupid. And to, to break it down in simple, easy terms, it's just stupid, Damon. Roxy Bernstein here on the Plus. It's so good to have you, man. Thanks for being a friend. Thanks for accepting the invite to come over and hang out yeah. with me for a little bit here. Um, let's just start with how you believe the Pac-12 got here, specifically Cal. Um, if if do you have an X marks the spot of where this all came to a head? There's not one moment, Damon. There's I think a bunch of moments and a bunch of missed opportunities along the way where the conference had a chance. And if they had made potentially the right move at every turn, maybe we're not in this predicament today. But unfortunately, that's the reality. That's where we are. And it's a shame that you're looking at the two LA schools. That was the, that was the big blow over a little over a year ago when they decided they were going to the Big Ten. And then certainly with what transpired late last week. But... I don't think I ever in my wildest dreams figured the league would dissolve and potentially floating out into the Pacific. Um, and there's a lot of finger pointing you can do. But at the end of the day, I think it comes down to missed opportunities, Damon. And there are a whole bunch of them where they, they had opportunities to take care of the conference and it didn't happen. Larry Scott, I think, is, you know, first on that FBI's most wanted list when it comes to the crime of what happened here. George Klyakov came in to be the the mop up man. And I don't know if he grabbed his mop and bucket quick enough. Was the desire to find the perfect media deal really at the center of all this? They let pretty good pass them by seeking perfect, which never really came. Reportedly, that's the case. And they could have had the deal before the Big 12 got it. And they rejected it. And I look, I, people want to make Larry Scott the poster child for what happened. There's a lot of blame to go around. And certainly you can put a lot in the plate of Larry Scott. And, but it, it's bigger than that, Damon, because Larry Scott works for people, right? And the presidents, the CEO group that 
are the presidents that make up the Pac-12. They're the ones that employed him. And they're also the ones that were in on these decisions. It wasn't Larry Scott unilaterally saying, I don't think we should expand. I don't think we should sell the Pac-12 network to ESPN. There were a lot of voices in the room. Larry Scott just happened to be, I think, the central figure for a lot of people because he was the commissioner of the league. Um, there are, like you said, so many elements and moving parts to it. One part that I, I just summarily reject is that, well, the biggest problem for Cal, and I'm not even including Stanford, because I would make the argument that the, the fact that the Bay Area is not in love with Stanford is easy to see on a lot of fronts. There is a passion for Cal in the Bay Area. I've seen it. My wife went to Cal. Um, you know, I'm a part of the Guardsmen. An awful lot of guys there are huge, proud Cal alums. I see Cal hats and gear everywhere I go. People do care about it. I've always thought it had been something of a bit of a sleeping giant, unfortunately. The argument has been made that one of the things that always prevented the giant from waking, uh, waking up it was the school itself. Do you accept or reject the fact that there's always been like a tug of war over the Cal Athletics Department's you know, place in the school between the actual school itself and the athletic department? How come they didn't work glove and hand together and always seemed at odds? It's been that way for years, Damon, even before I went to school there. It is, there's always been this animosity between the two, for whatever reason. It and makes the no academics, sense. It just doesn't make sense. No, and one helps the other, right? If Cal has success on the field, the academic side benefits from it. There's more applications. There's more money coming in. But the academics kind of look down at athletics. And it, for whatever reason, there has always been this faction between the two sides. Has it hindered Cal athletics along the way? I think absolutely it has. Maybe that's why there hasn't been consistency. And look, I love my alma mater. Nobody's more passionate about wanting to see them succeed. But to me, Damon, it's not an accident. Cal hasn't been to the Rose Bowl since 1959. It's not an accident that Cal has only won one conference championship in men's basketball since Pete Newell retired after 1960 when they're the national runners up. There has to be, I think, more support from the academic side. Now, I got to give Jim Knowlton credit for that because he's tried to bridge the gap. Current AD. Yeah, he, he has tried. And I think he's had more success than some of his predecessors in that regard. But it's still a ways to go to mend that relationship. Could that have helped prevent where we're at right now? I don't think so, to be honest with you. I'm having trouble, Damon, coming to grips. You have two of the elite universities in our country. Cal is the number one public university in the world. There is no education better than Stanford. Stanford's athletic department is the most successful athletic department in all of college sports. They have more national championships than anybody. And right now, they're looking around as if, what's our home going to be? Are we going to make do with Oregon State, Washington State, maybe piece this Pac-12 thing together? Are we going to go to the ACC like there were some reports late yesterday and this morning? I think all options are on the table. And to be honest with you, it's a matter of survival right now at the power level for both schools. Let's say you had total power. It was up to Roxy Bernstein to figure out what was best for Cal. Would you want Cal, Stanford, Washington State, Oregon State to be a magnet to attract other schools to a newly reformed Pac-12? 
Or do you think it might be better to just say, look, it's broken. There's no real putting this back together. Certainly not with the level of prestige that we used to enjoy. And maybe it's time to take what we do to another conference. But is the answer going to the ACC? I don't know. And the Big Ten doesn't at this point really seem to want Cal or Stanford. So then what are your options? I mean, in a perfect world for me, everybody wakes up tomorrow and says, what the heck did we do? Right? How stupid are we? Hit the reset right? button. And everybody reverts back to their regional conferences and where they should be. I mean, you're talking about a league that produced the likes of Jackie Robinson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Walton, John Wooden, Pete Newell, John Elway, Aaron Rodgers, Jim Plunkett. I can go on and on with Tiger Woods with all the phenomenal athletes that have been produced by the Pac-12. It's a shame that this league potentially is going to be gone and a memory. And right now you have four schools just trying to figure out exactly what's going to be. And you're talking about Oregon State. The last five years in college athletics, there are a handful of schools. There's four schools that have been to an Elite Eight in men's college basketball, that have had a 10-win football season, and been to the Baseball College World Series. And that's Oregon State among a group of four teams. And it's unheard of that they're right now and they're poised to have a banner season and that's the other thing damon is the pac-12 football season this year is going to be incredible when you look at the talent across the board the quarterbacks you have the returning heisman trophy winner michael Penix up at washington is going to be potentially a heisman finalist cam rising coming back to utah where they've won back-to-back conference championships and been to the rose bowl two years in a row this is all going to go away and it's just to me the more I think about it, the sadder, the more angrier I get. As you should. As you should. It, it is it, – it's gross. It's a little bit of the sign of the times. You know, sports always being a microcosm of society. It's like those who are wealthy enough to find a better neighborhood get to live fat and high on the hog, and those who are deemed less – less likely to help us all find success, just get left to starve and die. And what I really can't believe, and I don't know how to even classify it, like I I never, if you told me, all right, so the Pac-12 is going to implode, it's going to be Ali Ali oxen free for everyone, I would have never assumed that Cal and Stanford would be on the tier of abandonment, which Oregon State and Washington State find themselves on as well, both from much smaller, you know, places in in the world with less attention. I, again, I I can't believe it. Um, I I know that there are people out there who are saying, well, you know, move on, talk about the 49ers, talk about the Giants. And, you know, this is the thing I'm glad to have my own channel here, Roxy, because I can talk about whatever I want. (laughs) This remains the single biggest story in sports this summer. And it's just amazing. The rivalry with Stanford, is it important for you to keep the preservation alive or is this simply grab your own life jacket, Stanford be damned? For me, it's important because to me, tradition and rivalries are what make college athletics great. That's why we're here. Yes. You could... Pencil in the third Saturday in November, every year you're going to have the big game on the farm or at Cal. And everybody comes together. What a great scene it was. Sold out Memorial Stadium last November and a terrific comeback by Cal in the fourth quarter to win the big game. That's what college athletics is about. It's the competition. And keep in mind, they're supposed to be student athletes. 
I never want to hear anybody use that term again because they're not right. They're, they're just athletes now. And when you look at it's not even semi-pro, I mean, it's straight up professional athletics, what's going on here. And it's, it's college football and sports. Let's, it's not college athletics because football is the only thing that mattered in this. And it's not conference realignment, Damon. It's conference consolidation is what it is. And with calculated hits on the Pac-12. And the, the thing that I keep trying to come to grips with and trying to understand, and I'd like to think I'm a relatively smart guy, and I know there's people smarter than I am, but when there's all this money, all of a sudden, Fox is able to pony up for Oregon and Washington to go to the Big Ten now. And then there's extra money also for the Arizona schools, Utah and Colorado to go to the Big 12, right? Where was this money before when potentially this conference could have stayed together? And that's the other thing that I keep coming back to. Why did it have to come to this? That the Pac-12 gets dissolved, four are going here, four are going there, and there's four left holding the bag. What do you think happens? Where does this end? Can you even fathom? It, well, first off, it's, it's not ending. And eventually, here's what I think will happen, Damon that college football will break away from the NCAA. It'll be its own entity, kind of like we see in the NFL with an AFC and an NFC, and maybe the NFC is the Big Ten and the AFC is the SEC. Yeah. And it's going to be the haves and the have-nots, and the power teams are going to have their own championship, their own television deals. They're fighting 40, whatever, whatever the two things are. 65 yeah. teams, whatever. Whatever it happens to be. But also, what I hope it's a fallout, because that is going to happen, it's trending in that direction, that every other sport, whether it's basketball, um, softball, volleyball, base, whatever it is, everybody reverts back to their regional areas and conferences they were in before. There's no reason that Cal and UCLA, Stanford, USC, shouldn't be playing every year in every sport across the board. It makes zero sense. And what is never a concern, and this just shows you how hypocritical everyone involved is about the concept of student-athletes. No one's talking about the volleyball team. No one's talking about the field hockey team. No one's talking about the track team, the swim team, the any other thing other than football and basketball. And obviously, they provide the lifeblood that everyone enjoys. But this is gutting so many things. I, I read a, a, like a, a stream of consciousness on Twitter or X or whatever the hell it is right now uh, a, a, about, you know, I think it was UCLA softball players basically saying, you know, I, I wanted to come play softball at UCLA for a couple of reasons. Number one, I wanted to go there. Number two, my parents could drive and see me and we could all get in a car and we could drive a few hours in any direction and they could come to a road game. They cannot fly to Rutgers. They cannot fly into Piscataway as easily as it was to drive up the five to the Bay Area. I saw a region from the University of Michigan tweet something out that, well, why don't we invite a school from London instead of Oregon? Because it's actually easier for us to get to London, England than it is to, to Eugene, Oregon. But unfortunately, that's where we're at now. And you're right. It's the softball. It's the volleyball. They're going to suffer because they're going to be traveling commercial. For the most part, men's and women's basketball, football, they charter. So they're in and out. And it's still going to take a toll physically and mentally on the basketball players. But what about the academics? What about all the missed class time? Oh. Eli Brinkowitz, the head coach of Missouri, I thought had a good rant the other day about it. Now, it's, 
look, I make my living in college sports for the most part. Eli Drinkowitz makes a lot of money because he happens to be a head football coach at the SEC. Is it hypocritical? Maybe that they're commenting on this. But at the end of the day, it's common sense. And common sense tells you this is not good for the welfare of the kids that are going to college. Uh, you are phenomenal at what you do, Roxy, no matter what sport you broadcast. And this is, it's really, look, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's easy to become great in any one sport, but it's hard to be good at all of them. And you are really good at all of them. Thank you. Let's say sports broadcasting fairy comes down and says, you can only pick one thing to do. What are you picking? Really? I got two kids. You ask me which one's my favorite. <laughs> the one that's being nicer to me that day. I mean, people ask me all the time, what's your favorite? I'm like, what's paying me that day? Because honestly, Damon, I love the variety. I grew up a basketball player, um, but I always loved baseball, always loved football. I've loved hockey. And it's great that ESPN's given me that avenue too, or I get to call the NHL and I got to do the Stanley Cup playoffs, which was unbelievable last year and a great experience. And I, I wouldn't trade anything. To, to give up what I'm doing. I love the variety. It keeps it fresh. Yeah, it kind of has to drag me in a bunch of different directions with a lot of prep, and I'm reading stuff all the time. But I wouldn't change anything. I love what I do. Well, I tell you what, you're so good at what you do. Thank you for joining us a little bit today. I'm serious. My heart's breaking for you, man. My heart's breaking appreciate for you. Appreciate it. For your wife. Who loves college sports. Yeah. So hopefully, look, hopefully people wise up and figure it out. And hopefully we get back to where the way college athletics should be. Roxy, thank you so much. Happy birthday to Mrs. Roxy. I will tell her. Thanks, Damon. Thank you. Thank you so much. Roxy Bernstein, nice enough to join us here on the plus talking about what I think is far, far and away the single biggest story in sports, the absolute titanicking of one of the single greatest conferences we ever knew. I mean, I, I loved Cal's helmets when I was a kid. That gorgeous script Cal on the helmets was just absolutely something I would dream about is like, you know, California dreaming. You know, that 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 to me was a major, major daydreaming point about how cool the Pac-12 was. And you can't find a better campus in America. You can't find a more beautiful stadium in America than Cal's. Haas Pavilion, where the basketball team plays, it's phenomenal. Why they couldn't figure out their own war, internal war that's always happened on campus that Roxy even admits, yeah, that that's, that's true. There's been the butting of heads. Um, it's really, really difficult to see, and I wonder if you could go back in time and tell them, okay, so you either got to get your act together and all on the same page here, or this could come back and bite you in a way that you would never expect if they wouldn't have found a, uh, an ability to cooperate a little bit more. It's really, it's, uh, again, if, if this were happening to Indiana, and God, I was talking to a buddy of mine, went to IU, you know, this could happen in Indiana. What if they said, you know, Indiana football, you're so bad. You are provably the worst major college football program in the United States that we're going to throw you out of the Big Ten. Now, luckily, the basketball program is big enough to where it makes money like a football program. Indiana has the 13th most profitable athletic department in the United States, and that's basically devoid of 
any semblance of football success. But if this were happening to my alma mater, I would be sick to my stomach. You could see how much it pains Roxy. My wife, again, my wife went to Cal. She was on Rallycom the same year that Kate Scott became the first female Mike man in the history of Cal athletics. So my wife and Kate Scott go back to college days. Um, my wife loves Cal. Uh, my wife's family has got crazy ties to Cal, uh, generational ties. And for this to all be happening, it's just, it, it's heartbreaking. It really, really is. Uh, thanks again to Roxy for, for hanging out here a little bit. Really appreciate his time. I told him, I was like, can you swing on by? He's like, well, it's my wife's birthday. I'm a little busy. I'm like, well, we'll just 10, 15 minutes. And he was nice enough to give us 20. Um, so look, uh, we got a, a few things to get into. Let me just let you know that thanks so much to my sponsors. Uh, without them, we could not be doing this. Thank you very much, Ike, who was nice enough to join me. Uh, and so many of you at Plus Mania 1 at Victory Hall. By the way, the video is up. Please check out the video. If you were there, I promise you, you made the video um, uh, of the, the fun that we had. It, it's a great video. I, I, I It's like it's directed by Martin Scorsese. So uh, thanks so much to everyone who came out and supported had Ike's there, uh, had my buddy Charles there from Blackened Whiskey. We were pouring some Blackened Whiskey, and that was fantastic. And unfortunately, my good friends at Uncle Boys weren't able to make it. They had a family vacation planned for the same weekend. So next time, Uncle Boys has already said, next time we're going to be there with burgers, lumpia, and onion rings for all. And again, we'll get the logo up for Blackened as well. And you know what? Look at this, just sitting right here. Boom. Um, thanks so much to our sponsors. Now I want to get some reaction. I'm not just going to save it for club plus because I know that people want to talk about what's going on and we'll start with Irwin. Who's totally right. Like academics and sports can coexist. Not only can they coexist, they'll quickly find out that one hand can really help wash the other. It's not, it's not a matter of well, if you eat this slice of pie, there's less pizza for the rest of it. There, there's no amount of attention over here which doesn't breed more attention over there. And you can absolutely prove that there's no amount of academic excellence that can really help the actual teams. But boy, the teams can bring so many more people to the table in terms of admissions, in terms of um, who you want to, uh, you know, people interested in going to school, yes or no. It's, it's, it's a huge vehicle for attention that, I mean, I'm, I remember I was, when I was a student at Indiana, Bob Knight was giving a conference. Uh, he, he would do an annual address to the students uh, and he would take Q&A and, uh, you know, a kid stood up and said, how come you make more money than any professor here at the school when we're here to go to school? Not all of us are here to play basketball. Why are you the most paid, highest paid person on campus? And Bob Knight simply said, well, because you can't find me a professor that can put 18,000 people in one room together paying out of their pocket to come see them. You know, so you need the business, you need the attention, you need the eyeballs on 
any element of the campus's product to be interested in the campus at large. And it feels like this internal war is just, it's bad. La Profesora, who was great, great to meet you finally after so many years. By the way, I can take the headphones off now. It was great to finally meet La Profesora. And she says, I'd say uh, put the Bay Area schools in the Big Ten. You got a lot of Northwestern, Michigan, Ohio State grads in here, too. Um, you know, plus think of the hiring fairs. Look, uh, yeah. It, so I am kind of surprised that that Stanford and Cal weren't offered entry into the Big Ten as well. But I think I know why. Stanford is still, I think, maybe a possibility because of the academic prowess and the overall athletic department. The problem for Cal is the debt that they carry. You know, when you're looking to add a new partner, you're looking for a little financial competence. And as I cited yesterday from an article in Sportico, um, Cal is more deeply in debt than any other athletic department in the United States, Cal's athletic department is 44, excuse me, Cal's athletic department is $483 million in debt, in 38% more than the next closest school. It's because they refurbished the stadium, retrofitted it, added a new press box, and they did an incredible job with it. That stadium, that football stadium is awesome. It's hard to have a stadium that old get a kiss from something so new and modern, and it all blends together perfectly. They crushed that stadium's redesign and all the athletic facilities that are underneath the approach to the stadium. Um, it, it's, it's remarkable what they did. The debt service payments are currently at $18 million. Eventually, those jumped to $37 million in 2039. If Cal's not making major conference money from some major conference, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. You know, joining the Mountain West, Baron Red says, you know, Cal to the WCC. That, that That's not going to fit the bill. That they're not going to be able to pay the check when it comes to the table. If you think the WCC is going to be any sort of a bailout. True Blue Forever says joining an East Coast conference is almost as dumb as the idea of selling your media rights to Apple. Look, the media rights to Apple thing wasn't a good idea. If they could go back in time and close that deal, they would have done it in a heartbeat, learning what they've learned in just the last you know week. Again, they let pretty good pass them by over and over and over again, looking for perfect, which was never stopping at the station. It's brutal, man. It's funny. This is something that actually I was talking about with Jillian just last night. Albert says, what if Stanford and Cal just dropped sports altogether or went to the Ivy League? Well, dropping sports altogether would be a massive blemish on both institutions, and it would be horrific if that's what happened. Joining the Ivy League? Look, that'd be a major step down in, in athletic competition. But in terms of academics, 
you know, and this is where Stanford, Stanford is like, hey, put Notre Dame on the schedule every single year. We want to play with the big boys, and there is no school. Cal wishes it had the kind of success with its academic standards that Stanford has been able to have. And you can say, well, no one cares about Stanford. No one goes, and Stanford right now today sucks. True. Guess what, though? They have been to three Super Bowls in the last decade. I had someone say, well, that's all Jim Harbaugh. Actually, Jim Harbaugh never coached Stanford to a to a Rose Bowl. Did I say Super Bowl? I meant Rose Bowl. Sorry. No one. I mean, here's the thing. They should go to the freaking Super Bowl. This is professional sports. To pretend it isn't at this point in time is an insult to anyone's intelligence who's looking at it. It's gross. It's really, really gross. Matthew says, no lie. I wish I said hi to more people on Saturday. I was so shy. Don't be shy at all. It was great to meet you. Thanks so much for coming on out. Yeah, we. here's the thing. Shy, shy doesn't do well in the plus. Make a little noise. Rattle your saber. Let everyone know you're there. Hugh Joski Bear says, as a Cal fan and as an A's fan, this year has been brutal. Oh, man. I'm sorry, brother. I am so sorry. It has been brutal. You know, the people who are most responsible for putting you on the launching pad to have success have so thoroughly let you down in both directions as an owner and as the chancellors and powers that be in Berkeley, there's a lot of people that let you down. And look, I have been very much on the train of blame Larry Scott. And I do think Larry Scott deserves more blame than anyone else. But Roxy is also right. He's not 12 chancellors twiddling their thumbs, waiting for perfect and letting pretty good pass it by. You know, he brings them a situation to vote on. They keep voting no. No. And I agree with you here. I agree with you here when saying that short money, the TV money, won't be the long money. And that's the thing. The media is going through such a massive transformation right now. It, it ain't done transforming. It'll never really finish transforming. There's always going to be the new whatever, a new platform, a new way to distribute it. But what we can prove implicitly, at least what I hope I can prove implicitly, is that we're no longer living in the content distributor era. You're living in the content creator era. There is no content to create for the distributors without these teams playing. Whole thing's gross. Oh, you guys were taking uh, overs-unders on the sip of the day? Oh, the over must have certainly hit. No one's ever put an over-under on sip of the day at the 30-minute mark. So here we go. C cash your tickets while you can. Ah, look at me living dangerously without a lid cup today. It's a Team USA Salesforce Jillian swag thing that she got to bring home the other day. Whole thing stinks, man. 
whole thing really stinks. Des for Prez says, look, man, the greatest college football highlight of all time, the band on the field game between Cal and Stanford. Shame that they're going to be thrown into the second hand bin. Look, they're going to get thrown into it. They did a little to put themselves in it all them at the same time and call it arrogance or ignorance. And it's hard to accuse two of the smartest campuses in the world of ignorance, but I think that there's some attached to it. Arrogance, thinking this can't happen to us. This couldn't possibly break away that won't benefit us. It's um, it's gross. Oski Bear again saying, Cal needs Stanford more than Ferd needs Cal. Look, Stanford might not need anyone. They got a $68 billion endowment. I don't know what it is at Cal. Well, I'll tell you what Cal needs. Cal needs one major benefactor. Who is the richest person who ever went to Cal? Who's the multi, multi, multi billionaire who can honestly just get that athletic department right back into the black with one check? Find that guy. Who's your Mark Cuban? Find that guy or gal and have them cut the check to make things get better. Uh, Matthew again says, look, Mountain West should come to the Pac-4 because the Pac has been around for 108 years. But the truth is, are you? can you even pretend you're the Pac-whatever given the exodus that you've seen? I mean, you almost need a total redo and rebranding. Pacific whatever. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't even know. Maybe you go to West Coast or Left Coast. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. It's going to take someone smarter than me to rebrand that entire thing. But they got to. They. I don't think they can go back to the pack. Like, let's not pretend everything's normal and nothing happened. That's almost an insult. I would think you got to restart the whole thing. Great response, Roxy. I don't even know. But look, it was all great from Roxy. And look, Roxy cares, man. Roxy cares an awful lot. He's been there as a student. He's been there as an employee. He's been there as a media member that looks out and covers it. And, and he understands it from all angles as a broadcaster, as a media member, as an alumni. And that's why I thought he was the perfect guy to have on today. Stevie P says, uh, hey, when's Radnich coming on? I'm guessing not soon. I'm guessing not soon. So Matthew again says, hey, if Gary comes on, I'll shit my pants. Well, that would be both of us. Olympic sports, they're in an awful lot of trouble, man. Shout out mamas and the papas. Yeah, that was to me like Cal's uniforms might have been like, What's your name? Who's your daddy? Like, I saw a script cow in a helmet, and I was just straight up, like, transported to the West Coast as a little kid. Love those helmets. Love them. I didn't think I'd be singing Mamas and, and, and Papas today, but here we are. It's a weird time. It's a weird time indeed. T from the 203. Damon, great job with Roxy. Look, Roxy did the great job. I was just lucky enough to get him on. Really love Roxy. What a great guy. By the way, I mean, if you think Roxy's a really good guy, he ain't acting like that. He really is. What a great guy he is. All right. We will return 
We shall return to the uh, chat line here in just a little bit. A couple of other things to go over. Right? It is an Otani Tuesday. We got the Giants in Anaheim playing the Angels. So we will have an Otani Tuesday video later tonight when we see what he does last night. A couple of hits and a stolen base off uh, Patrick Bailey, who we know has a hose that just shows you what an athlete that guy is, too. Um, but the Giants had the huge rally in the top of the ninth to hand the Angels another absolutely stunning defeat. I mean, good God. Uh, it's been rough going for the Angels since the trade deadline, and we'll get to that in a second. But I got, I got a question to ask here, and and I am sure that with the degrees he has hanging on his wall, Farhan could go into a court of law and actually prove that he is smarter than me. But I would appeal that decision and I would appeal it on the grounds of new evidence. I got evidence that you're not as smart as you think you are, and it was on full display last night. Even with the win, I got a question. What the fuck is A.J. Pollock doing hitting on this team in the three-hole? A.J. Pollock, the worst hitter the San Francisco Giants have on their roster, was hitting in the three-hole last night. Why? Why? Like, you never have the worst player on a team hitting third. That goes for T-ball. That goes for Little League. That goes for gym class. There isn't a child in America who would have just looked at batting averages and put A.J. Pollock in the three-hole. But that's what the Giants did last night. They thought we're clever enough to have success with the single most dead-on-arrival at-bat available for the San Francisco Giants. Again, the next time A.J. Pollock sees first base in a Giants uniform will be the first. Now, look, you want him in the lineup? You're trying to get him to wake up a little, shake him out? Go ahead, put him in the lineup. You know, it's a, it's a division, former division opponent that he's got some familiarity with, having been a Mariner. Maybe he's seen, you know, some success. Not that he's got really any success anywhere. His slash line is does not belong, but it's not good. But maybe, look, you, 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 you acquired the player. You want to wake the player up. You're going to put him in a situation you think that they might have success in. I get it. Hit him eighth or ninth. Hit him eighth or ninth. Is it an automatic out just sitting there for you? So don't put him third. Good God. You want him in the lineup? I get it. But hitting him third is absolutely indefensible. It's indefensible. It spits in the eye of everything you ever knew about lineup construction, and the Giants are not smart enough to rewrite the book on roster lineup construct construction all by themselves. They're, they're smart. They ain't that smart. They're not smart enough to know more than the entire history of Major League Baseball. Don't put your worst hitter in the three-hole. Duh. saw Grant Brisby writing a little bit about the Giants' offensive struggles. And again, they, they had a rousing ninth inning last night. But Grant Brisby 
put a few things on the table that just lets you know how much this offense is struggling right now and how A.J. Pollock's not going to be part of the solution, okay? The runners in scoring position since the All-Star break, the Giants are 24th out of 38 teams. They're hitting 210 with runners in scoring position. Now, that goes up and down, right? You know, it, 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 good teams have bad months with runners in scoring position all the time. Baseball ebbs and flows. So what you're looking for is some steady consistency from your hitters, and you're looking for just balls hit hard in play. Well, exit velocity with runners in scoring position since the All-Star break for the Giants is 30th out of 30 teams. That ball is coming off the bat at 84.2 miles per hour, which, you know, Again, exit velocity isn't the end-all, be-all of was that at bad a success. But you got to do better than dead last in baseball, and the Giants had a couple dying quails benefit them last night. A dying quail can get you on base, can get a runner in from third, but you can't be dead last all the time. Um. It's why, writes Grant, it's why the Giants can have one of the best ground ball to fly ball ratios in baseball, 8th out of 30, without one of the highest home run rates in baseball. They're 17th out of 30. They don't hit the ball hard enough. And the one thing that is just like a bare minimum for any entry into we're really going to take you seriously as a major league lineup is you punish mistakes. You have to. There is no option for successful teams to not punish pitching mistakes. And there is no greater pitching mistake than serving one right down the middle of the plate. That is the worst mistake you can make as a pitcher. The worst hitter in baseball should be able to tee off on balls thrown right down Main Street. Good teams punish mistakes. Bad teams punish mistakes. The Giants aren't a bad team, but they're terrible at punishing mistakes. And this is where the frustration comes from. Look, if you're a bad team, I'd get it. The Giants aren't a bad team. They got the third best record in the National League, I believe. Grant writes, average exit velocity on pitches in the middle of the strike zone in the second half is 27th out of 30. The batting average on pitchers, on, excuse me, the batting average on pitches in the middle of the strike zone in the second half, 30th out of 30. Slugging percentage on pitchers, pitches in the middle half of the strike zone uh, in the second half, 30th out of 30. They're dead last in hitting the ball hard even when mistakes are made. That ain't good. That ain't good. I tell you, it is watching fun watching Shohei Otani, though, isn't it? God, you, you can't take your eyes off him. Can't take your eyes off him when he is at the plate. It's as, it, it's as a lean-forward moment as, as a Barry Bonds at-bat in my life. It really is. I mean, I, I just can't get enough of the guy. Um, Major League Baseball desperately needs to get Otani out of Anaheim. Like, if you ask me, what's the single most important thing baseball does next year? Don't tweak any more rules. The little tweaking and adjusting of the rules is fine. You know, the, to me, games are moving so quickly now that if you wanted to get rid of that extra runner and extra innings, that the, the ghost runner on second, I'd be cool with that. When you got games coming in around two and a half hours on the reg, you can stick around a little longer in a ballpark for an extra inning game without it becoming an offensive amount of time committed to this baseball game. 
So again, that's one thing I would do, but that's not nearly as important to baseball success next year as just getting Shohei Otani out of Anaheim. Like Anaheim, you can have Mike Trout. You can have Mike Trout, who is a full-on candidate for the greatest living, most boring super athlete of my lifetime. Mike Trout, as great as he is, and he truly, he's not good. He's great. He's the single most boring athlete ever, right? Now, he's paid to entertain with the bat, but unfortunately, he's an Anaheim Angel, so that doesn't happen very often. Um, Otani's got a level of global interest that no other baseball player can even pretend to say that they have. Anaheim is completely beneath him as a market and as a franchise. And you just see, you know, they, 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 it might be noble that they didn't want to give up on Shohei Otani. There, there is some nobility attached to that. Like, I wouldn't want to trade my best player ever, but if you knew there was no chance he was really coming back, and there is no chance he's coming back now, uh, you got to do that. You got to sometimes better yourself by acknowledging the worst could be what defines you. And look, right now, the Angels went big at the deadline, and instead of cashing in on Otani, they traded away prospects that they're desperately going to wish that they still had in their system more than these players that they traded for because. Tom Lee of the defector spelled it all out the day after trading for Giolito and Lopez, the angels were rewarded for their bravery and a doubleheader against the tigers. Otani spent a day playing baseball better than anyone's ever played it on the planet. He pitched a complete game shutout in the first game, a one hitter and the angels won six to nothing. And then in the second game, he had two home runs. So he had a great afternoon, and that was after the trade deadline, and everyone's like, oh, yeah, that inspired Otani. He wants to be an angel. He likes the reinforcements. Well, since that moment, they're 2-9 and nine and are riding a seven-game losing streak. Angels beat writer Sam Blum pointed out after Monday's ninth inning collapse to the Giants that Fangraphs gave the Angels a 19.5% chance to make the playoffs at the trade deadline, and their playoff odds have now dropped to 1.4%. They've lost seven in a row. They're eight games out of the wild card and 11 and a half games out of the division. Wah, wah. The Anaheim Angels have had two of the game's top five players for years now, and they can't get out of their own way. I mean, it's franchise malpractice, the first degree. It truly is. So you want Trout... Go ahead. Keep him. It's boring. No one cares. Shohei Otani. I'd love to see him in a Giants uniform, but he's, he's got to go somewhere. He's got to go somewhere where he's on the map and on TV and readily and easily accessible to everyone. And Anaheim ain't it. And he's got to go somewhere where he's going to be in the postseason. couple of other things. Patrick Bailey. Oh, my God. Total stud, man. Total stud. He is the one true rookie success story. And there, look, there have been a couple of successful rookie stories, but we've also seen guys get sent right back. And, you know, the the it looks like Casey Schmidt reached the end of his rainbow kind of quickly. And um, this team has been banged up and injured, and it just it stinks. But Patrick Bailey, man, like, that guy's a keeper. Everyone else is still auditioning, which is why I might have traded a name or two that you deemed as untradeable. Look, there's nothing that means this top prospect is going to do anything. Like, there's nothing throughout baseball history that says top prospects, one, two, three, four of every system are guaranteed to go on to what? Nothing. 
I will I will trade you maybes for surefire major leaguers, especially if I'm a team that has trouble signing surefire major leaguers or in free agency. And by the way, the San Francisco Giants better sign Shohei Otani because next year's free agent class sucks. Um, did you see that Anaheim flashed the home team hit a home run stadium lights when JD Davis hit a home run last night? Um, JD Davis does not play for Anaheim. So that's how that's how on the money they are. Game night operations down in Anaheim. They're, the person was just like, oh, home run. Make the lights flash. Oh, no, wait a minute. That wasn't a home run for our team. Probably shouldn't have pushed that. I want to talk about the cruise patch. I don't like the cruise patch. To me, baseball uniforms are sacred. I don't like the Nike swoosh. On the, on the the like I don't mind a Nike swoosh on a basketball jersey or on a football jersey. But for some reason, I don't like the Nike swoosh on on a baseball jersey. That should be a clean, I just want clean, clean jerseys. Clean, clean, clean. That patch, again, that patch better be the reason why you got enough money to sign Shohei Otani this offseason. That patch better represent a $700 million opening offer to Shohei Otani being willing to go to a billion dollars for the rest of his career. If Shohei Otani is going to tell the Giants, no, I will not give you, I, I'm still not interested, rest of my career for a billion dollars, that's fine. You've done enough. If, if they can, if a billion dollars is enough, 700, 800 million, that's fine. But that patch better be a new way of spending for the San Francisco Giants because it's so intrusive to me. And again, other people are saying, Damon, I don't even notice it. I do. And last night I noticed something that even made me more pissed off at it because, you know, the concept, the root word of the, u, of the word uniform is uniform everything is the same you your your uniform and my uniform but for the jersey number is identical well it doesn't even the, the giants aren't even allowed to do that anymore enough hitters came to the plate in the ninth inning last night where i finally noticed something the patch is always on the shoulder that faces the pitcher for maximum tv exposure so if you hit lefty, the patch is on your right shoulder and vice versa. So that means the uniforms aren't even uniform anymore. Thankfully, switch hitters aren't, you know, wearing cruise patches on both shoulders. I mean, at least that would be uniform. Again, if you make enough money where you sign Shohei Otani, fine. But God, I hate uniform decorations and patches. I do. And someone's like, Damon, you really care about uniforms and offline. Yeah, I do. I love uniforms. I love uniforms. I'm just talking about how, how much I would wax poetic about cow helmets. I love sports uniforms. And I don't like when they get ruined with, you know, anything that isn't a trick. You know, the only thing that should be on your patch would be a team logo over here and a tribute to a dead player over there. That's it. One more thing to 
pass along before we hop into Club Plus officially. Officially, Broadcasters coming to the defense of Orioles broadcaster Kevin Brown. Have you seen this? Um, Gary Cohen, Mets broadcaster, said, let me say one thing to the Baltimore Orioles management. You draped yourself in humiliation when you fired John Miller, and you're doing it again. And if you don't want Kevin Brown, there are 29 other teams that do. Well, make that 28, because there's no way the the A's would pay him. But the rest of the baseball world is now absolutely throwing slings and arrows at Peter Angelos, who is the guy who made the decision to suspend his broadcaster indefinitely. Well, oh my God, an indefinite broadcast suspension? What did he say? Did he you know, say something disparaging to the gay community? Tom Brenneman, Cassianos. You know, like, is it one of those? Did he use the N-word like Glenn Kuyper by mistake? What did he do? What did he say? Nothing. It's the most innocuous pregame statement you have ever heard in your life. It's not disparaging at all. And as a matter of fact, he took a negative and he spun it as a positive. His point was tantamount to the Baltimore Orioles had struggled at the Tropicana, uh, Tropicana field for the past few years. But this year, they're better here. That's it. He relayed winning percentages on another field. Michael Kay, who is a Yankees broadcaster, made a great point on his New York-based radio show saying that, you know, the note that was referenced by the Orioles broadcaster, Kevin Brown, the note that was referenced was in the Orioles game notes. So how are you not suspending the guy who puts your game notes together? Baseball stats whether they are positive or negative, are not presented to do anything other than realize statistical truths. That's it. That's it. The the Baltimore Orioles suspended a broadcaster essentially for saying two plus two is four. He also said, you know, there was a TV graphic that accompanied the stat. So this was an agreed upon production point of that day's broadcast. There was nothing offensive about it. Orioles used to not win a lot of games down here in the past couple of years. This year, they're having more success. He even couched what was a negative stat in a positive way. The more you just get evidence from so many people, billionaires and baseball owners just suck. God, what a group of assholes. So there you go. We're about to get into Club Plus here. Um, Hard Knocks is tonight. It's going to make its debut episode on HBO. Uh, The show certainly isn't what it used to be, but it's on. I'll probably watch it. We'll probably talk about it tomorrow. I can tell you my good friend Larry Kruger is going to be joining me at 11 o'clock tomorrow. We're going to be talking about what the 49ers are doing as they're getting ready to go to Vegas to take on the Raiders this Sunday. So Larry's going to stop on by tomorrow and looking forward to that. Looking forward to hopping into Club Plus with you if you're listening on the podcast today. Thank you so very much. Thanks to Roxy Bernstein for stopping on by. And please do remember that sports don't build character They reveal it. 
And like that, whew, he's gone. 